Welcome to Waves of Change podcast. I'm your host, Lizzie Lara. Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of Waves of Change podcast. So happy that you're with us today. Today, I have a great interview for you. Today, I'm speaking with Manohar Shinoy, who is the executive director of Clean the World Foundation. Clean the World was founded in 2009, and you know, some unlike some of our other nonprofits that we've had on, um, they haven't been around for decades and decades. Like I said, they were founded in 2009, but what really stuck out to me is the amount of work they're doing, the amount of programming they have. It is so extensive and so impressive. They are working across the world, looking to get into even more countries, and they are doing some amazing things focused primarily on addressing global health issues and hygiene, and all of it with a lens of sustainability and environmental stewardship, which I just love because at the end of the day, and I don't think that we think about this enough, being good environmental stewards and taking care of our world is also a humanitarian issue, right? So I love that they have that focus as well. You'll hear Manohar and I speak about this, but they are doing wash and school programs where they're focused on providing hygiene supplies in schools. They're also focused on menstrual health and hygiene, providing menstrual health supplies in schools. They're focused on emergency relief support, women's microfinance, mobile hygiene, wash stations here in the United States. Um, like I said, they are doing some an amazing work across the world having immediate impact and I'm just so excited to see their continued growth. One thing that Manohar mentioned um, as we were wrapping up and finished recording is that in the near future they're changing their name to The Wash Foundation, um, W-A-S-H. So keep an eye out for that. I of course will link to their website on the show notes but I'll let you get to it. Here's my interview with Manohar Shinoy from Clean World Foundation. So today we have Manohar Shinoy, who is the executive director of Clean World Foundation. Clean World was founded in 2009 to address global health issues by using discarded hygiene supplies from the hospitality industry to reduce the number of hygiene-related deaths. Manohar, it's so wonderful to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much, Lizzie, and thank you for having me. Of course. Well, I always love to start every interview by asking um, the origin story of the organization and how it got started. Oh, absolutely. Um, although I myself came uh, to Clean the World Foundation two years ago, uh, the Clean the World Foundation and Clean the World had started in 2009. And it was the founder, Sean Seipler, used to be with the IT sector, uh, with the tech companies. Mm. And he used to travel 15 days a month uh, across the United States uh, because he was in sales. And he would stay in different uh, hotels. Uh, so I guess one night when he couldn't sleep, uh, you know, 
he began to start wondering what actually happens to the soap that's uh, partially used in the partially used shampoo uh, mm. that people end up discarding uh, in the hotels. And given how frequently he himself was traveling, uh, you know, I think he had a fairly good sense of just how much he himself was uh, probably not entirely using. So right. he went down, he went down in the middle of the night to the desk clerk and he asked, uh, you know, what 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 happens to the soap and what happens to the shampoo? And the desk clerk said, uh, we just simply discard it. So Sean got busy that night, got, uh, you know, busy doing a back of the envelope calculation. Uh, he figured out so many hotel rooms in the United States, so many footfalls, you know, so much of soap uh, and so much of soap that's not used and so much of shampoo along with the plastic bottles that they are in, which are ultimately ending up in landfills. Uh, so clearly there was an environmental challenge around it. But at the same time, Sean was very aware that, uh, you know, global hygiene and uh, hand washing and uh, hygiene related deaths uh, in children below the age of five, especially through two killer diseases, one is diarrhea and pneumonia, were, uh, you know, very widespread and could potentially be reduced by uh, just simple hand washing and making soap available in these developing countries. So on, on the one hand, you know, he felt that he could avert a lot of the soap uh, going into the landfills uh, and creating an environmental challenge uh, for us. But on the other hand, if you repurpose the soap, uh, that could uh, go towards reducing morbidities and perhaps uh, mortality in children below the age of five, uh, and especially children below the age of two. Uh, so that is how we, we really began. And Sean you know, started contacting the Hiltons and uh, the Hyatts and uh, the Caesars and the Sands. Um, and they were all very happy to give the soap to us. And uh, that is how we started. And it's it's been a real success story. And the whole, whole issue of circularity and repurposing and being environmentally sensitive, but at the same time addressing other problems, uh, especially around water sanitation and, and in this case, hygiene, I think has been such such a phenomenal, uh, you know, story uh, and, uh, uh, you know, this is this is a story that is being told quite a bit. It's been a success. Um, the hospitality industry backs us up, and I think we are just moving forward uh, from uh, you know strength to strength. Thanks to the hospitality industry, and also thanks to some very uh, ingenious thinking. Yeah, I mean, it's really cool how um, you know he thought of solving an environmental issue, but also a humanitarian issue. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah, and that's wonderful that the hospitality industry is supportive of it as well. Yeah, that's that's indeed true because, uh, you know, uh, many of the corporates do realize that climate change is very, very real um, and that it is going to impact on their businesses as well on the one hand. So right. there is there's certainly a business angle to it. Uh, and their own profits. But on the other hand, there is uh, this whole motivation to really do good to the planet and not to do any harm 
So I think that many of the corporates and especially the hospitality industry has stepped forward uh, to really support, uh, you know, us in uh, our mission. And I think that we are very deeply grateful to them. And we are certainly looking at casting a net wider and seeing how we can get more of the Fortune 500 companies to support uh, our larger global mission around water sanitation and hygiene, because we do believe that the private sector also has got a very big role to play in it. Yeah, for sure. Well, I know that your um, programming is very extensive and I'd love to dive into the amazing work you're doing. Um, can you describe what Washington Schools is? Yeah, um, typically in many of the developing countries, uh, you find that there's a real big challenge in uh, in the rural areas, but also in some of the urban areas. Um, let me just give an example from the country that I come from. I come from India. Uh, we have got a population of 1.4 billion people. Um, it's a very water-stressed country. And at the same time, there is, you know, there's a problem with open defecation. If you really mm -hmm. look at uh, the global statistics, even today, uh, nearly 2 billion people uh, defecate in the open. And that in itself uh, mm -hmm. is, is a problem in terms of uh, this, uh, the spread of disease. Um, but uh, when we are looking at schools, many of the schools are really very dilapidated not just in India, but you go to any of the other parts of, say, Sub-Saharan Africa, or Latin America, or some parts of Southeast Asia, Central Asia, some of our inner cities as well over here, uh, it's it's a bit of a problem that you don't have proper toilets. Uh, so children, and there isn't a proper supply of water, uh, there isn't a supply of, uh, you know, soap uh, in the schools. And for girls, uh, you know, adolescent girls who enter menarche, they don't have access to sanitary pads and so they drop out of schools. And this is this is what we're trying to address. We're trying to see how can you have proper toilets in place? How can you have, you know, uh, better hygiene facilities? Uh, how can you have better hand washing uh, stations in place? How can you have uh, access to menstrual hygiene management and uh, adolescent girls as they enter menarche really having access to low-cost uh, sanitary pads. But then at the same time, you know, not only are the schools uh, sensitized to this issue, uh, but the communities are and the families are as well, and that they are providing an enabling environment for children when they go to school. Uh, so that's that's really at the household level and at the community level. But I, we also think that the government has got a very big role to play in this to make mm -hmm. sure that all of these are actually uh, available uh, at the last mile in schools in rural areas for children to be able to access toilet, to be able to access safe drinking water, to be able to access hand washing uh, stations, to be able to access uh, soap, and for young girls to be able to access sanitary napkins. Besides you know, there are a whole host of other things that children require in terms of education, but we don't get into it. We try to partner with the other organizations that are working specifically on transacting uh, the curriculum in the classroom. So uh, that's that's a separate uh, issue altogether. We focus basically on water sanitation and hygiene in schools. 
So uh, that is that is what we try to do. We try to catalyze uh, the process. We try to help uh, communities to plan well together. And we try to bring the local government and communities together so that they can plan around it, so that we create an enabling environment for children to be able to go to school. Um, and then, of course, uh, within the local plans of the local government, we try to see that they have got proper budgeting uh, processes, mm. not only for infrastructure, but also for the operations and maintenance, which really is a very big problem. It's easy to set up a toilet. But after that, if there's no ownership of the toilet, um, you know, things just fall apart. And uh, right. So that's that's another big challenge, and we try to catalyze that, but we also try to build capacities around it. On the one hand, building the capacities of uh, communities, but on the other hand, building the capacities and sensitization of, of government uh, and better governance as such. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's so important is to take it to that next step and work with the local governments, because as you say, so many nonprofit organizations come into countries and will build something and then leave and never come back. So you want to make sure that that maintenance is there and the upkeep. Um, and Absolutely. I love, yeah, that you're all removing the roadblocks for children to go to school. Absolutely. Um, and system strengthening is clearly, you know, um, very key to what we do. Um, it's really very important. The other thing is uh, at the center, at the really at the core of our uh, programming, we place women uh, at the heart of our programming, because mm. if uh, women do not have a voice uh, and uh, are not provided uh, that voice on what exactly they want within their communities or for them to play a, a role in local governance, um, I do believe that, you know, we would we will struggle to address many of these uh, really complex and challenging uh, issues that the planet faces. Yeah, I love that. And I know that you do work around women's microfinance. Can you speak about the work that you're doing with that? Yeah, we, you know, we did we did have microfinance programs in Uganda. Um, that kind of, uh, we had to hit the brakes on that when COVID happened, but we are in the process of starting that all over again. Um, more than microfinance, we are now exploring a little bit of microenterprise and working with social entrepreneurs, specifically on uh, uh, menstrual hygiene, where we are working with women's uh, women entrepreneurs in Uganda so that they can develop uh, sanitary napkins, um, mm. which are culturally appropriate, but we are also using the right kind of material. And... Uh, this is something that is affordable at, uh, you know, at the village level at the very last mile. Um, and it's not the kind of stuff that, you know, Procter & Gamble, for example, is is putting out and is available only in the large, uh, you know, supermarkets, which is meant for a totally different uh, segment of the population. So we are, we are in the process. And just today, I just got off a call uh, with some of these uh, women entrepreneurs in, uh, in uh, Kampala, uh, just talking to them about how we could really be supporting them uh, in the process of not only testing out the pilots and field testing the products, but also, uh, you know, scaling it up uh, and making this available, not just in a province, but taking it across the country. So uh, that's that's something that is uh, clearly in the pipeline. We're working very hard towards it. Uh, and we certainly also uh, 
are looking at uh, simultaneously looking at other social enterprises uh, that we can support. For example, clean water is uh, clean and safe water is is a big challenge, and we really want to see how we can catalyze some innovation around it and mm. has uh, you know women social enterprises uh, who would who would be taking that um, forward. Uh, and who would be able to sustain it. But at the same time, they would also be able to earn some income out of this. And, you know, uh, by earning some extra income or, and having some disposable income with them, the, you know, they, they just enhance the quality of their life and that of their children at the household level. So we are really, while on the one hand, we are really looking at services uh, that the government provides. On the other hand, we are also looking at how we capacitate communities so that they can begin to start taking actions for themselves right. on the one hand, and also become, uh, you know, to the extent that they really can become and they've got the capacities to become, uh, you know, so social entrepreneurs who can begin to start driving some of the development processes itself around uh, water sanitation and hygiene. That's awesome. I love that you're really working with the communities to empower them to create solutions. And um, that's really important. Yeah, um, so, yeah. And then I saw that you also do emergency relief work. Can you explain some of the work that you've done um, with that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, um, Recently, we had the fires in Hawaii, in Maui, mm. uh, uh, which was absolutely heartbreaking and uh, quite devastating. And you continue to see, uh, you know, you had uh, Hurricane Ian and Hurricane Matthew, uh, and it hit the Dominican Republic, where we have a presence, and it hit uh, uh, Puerto Rico, and it hit Florida, where we actually have got our office. Uh, and we responded very quickly to that by... Um, providing hygiene kits to people who had been displaced. And uh, also where we had the opportunity to do it, we have got mobile uh, hygiene units where people can go and take a shower. Uh, and these are really very, very good uh, mobile hygiene units uh, that uh, the county, county governments are basically also using uh, oh, wow. so, that, so that it, you know, we can, when there isn't an emergency, we can address and uh, provide support to people who have been unhoused. Uh, and, uh, you know, we can we can provide them with a shower uh, and give them, uh, just giving people a shower gives them a great sense of dignity, uh, giving them a haircut, giving them a shave, or for women to have just a safe place where they can actually go and have a shower really makes such a big difference. So on the one hand, we do support, uh, you know, the growing problem of uh, people who are unhoused over here within the United States. Right. But also when, when we do have emergencies, we do reach out. So, for example, in Syria and Turkey, we were able to send out uh, uh, hygiene products. Uh, we haven't been as quick to reach out to Morocco just because we lack certain capacities and, uh, you know, some of the uh, challenges that are there in Libya, we have not been able to do it uh, just because we have not had the capacities to procure hygiene kits in those countries uh, because we haven't got our vendor chains uh, actually set up over there at the moment. And that's what we are working towards. And I think that given climate change, 
um, and given rapid urbanization, we are going to see more and more of this. And we really believe that we need to be doing two things. One is we have to look at uh, disaster risk reduction, adaptation and resilience in populations on the one mm -hmm. hand. But when you actually have a disaster, then there is a, a proper method to actually uh, respond uh, to the disaster. Yeah, that's so important. Um, well, it really sounds that you like you all are working globally. How many countries are you currently working in? Well, at the moment, we are in the Dominican Republic and uh, in Uganda, and we are expanding uh, into Peru, uh, into Nepal, India, and Indonesia. Um, and uh, we also do have plans of being in Ethiopia as well as in Tanzania. So uh, these are these are plans going into 2024. And uh, I, I think that we will have to, uh, our ability to scale up, uh, we have to do it in a very thoughtful manner that we are able to deliver really quality programs uh, that support not only uh, what the governments, the national governments, as well as the local governments uh, want to do, so that we're very supportive of uh, those processes, but also uh, to be sure that we are, uh, you know, addressing the aspirations of the communities. And we are kind of catalyzing that process by bringing government and communities together and helping them to try to find solutions uh, for themselves. So that expansion, as it happens, it have, has to happen in a, in a very thoughtful manner and we have to ratchet it up. Uh, very, uh, you know, very thoughtfully. Yeah, I love how intentional you all are um, with your expansion, but it really sounds like your reach is quite far, which is very exciting. Yeah, I should have mentioned that we do also have domestic programs. The United States is very important for what, what we do because we do recognize that there are, you know, emerging challenges around water, uh, as well as sanitation and hygiene, of course. Um, during the pandemic, we actually worked with the CDC and the CDC Foundation specifically to address the issue of uh, of hand hygiene. That's amazing. Yeah, I know there was such a demand during the pandemic for things like wash stations and, and hygiene. So it's amazing that you guys were able to address that. Um. Do you have a favorite success story that you could share with us? Yeah, well, um, I certainly do like the fact that the work that we've done in Tororo um, uh, has been really very inspiring. We went in over there. This is uh, on the eastern side of uh, of uh, Uganda. Um, mm -hmm. It kind of borders Kenya. Uh, and uh, we set up uh, some water systems over there. And uh, we were able to, initially when we set up the water systems, we were just thinking about one community and we were really not, we didn't have the ambition of taking that beyond uh, that community. But what did happen, uh, and it happened kind of very organically was that once the communities that were around, uh, you know, the place that we were in, in Tororo, got to know about this water system, they started accessing the water system and they were coming in from 15 miles uh, just wow. to access that water. And what happened was uh, as a result of it, 
we were able to lay out pipes uh, with support from uh, you know local government uh, as well as uh, with some of the CBOs as well as NGOs, community-based organizations as well as NGOs, and get the water across to those who are about 10 to 12 miles away. Um, so when we started off, we started off thinking real small, not realizing what, how great the need actually was and how much people were desperate for water and that they were willing to really take certain actions for themselves. And while they did not have the necessary resources to do all of it by themselves, they were very keen to provide the labor um, mm -hmm. and very keen to support the process. So we were able to make uh, certain investments to take that uh, to take that water even further. So it just it just goes to show that you know when you start small and you get communities involved um, and you get local government involved, they they can really come up with their own wisdom and their own solutions. And we really have to be very trusting uh, about the fact that they know the environment far better than we do. We we should not think that we can parachute in and just uh, tell people what they should be doing, but right. we should be listening to what they actually have got to say. And sometimes they have got the best possible solution. So for me, uh, in my 35 year career, I've always believed that listening to uh, you know the communities and are trying to meet their aspirations to the extent that we are capable of is perhaps key to development. Yeah, I mean, everything that you just said is so important when you're talking about international development work. I love that. Um, well, I would love to know what you're excited about for the future of Clean World Foundation. Oh, I'm I'm terribly excited. Uh, I would <laughs> say I've been here for two years and, uh, you know, I don't feel I'm working. Uh, I just feel that this is an avocation. I'm so, so mm -hmm. pleased to actually be over here. We are expanding into Peru. I just must tell you this, uh, you know, Peru, like Chile, has uh, is uh, Peru is on the, Lima is on the fringes of the Atacama Desert and uh, doesn't re uh, receive any rainfall at all. But it receives a lot of fog, very thick fog, uh, for about seven months in a year. And we are looking at how we can harness water from fog. Um, mm. And these are some really very innovative solutions where you can put up fog nets and uh, you can, uh, you know, through a process of condensation, bring it down into gutters and then pipe that uh, water to the households where, uh, you know, people who are living on the fringe of the city of, uh, of Lima, um, Lima was built for about 3 million people. It has expanded to about 12 million people. Wow. And the water utility companies can't really provide services to everybody. And uh, this is one of the driest places to work in. So, you know, people who live on the outskirts, they really have to buy water from tankers. And uh, uh, it's very, very expensive to buy it. So through the fog nets, mm. we are able to uh, really bring down the cost of water by nearly 500 percent um so it just means that one number one we are harnessing it from the atmosphere number two is there's no carbon footprint to it because we are not extracting water number three is um it's not very expensive to do and number four is the technology is fairly simple and number five is women are in charge of uh, of the fog net so you know i'm very very excited with that 
but I'm also very excited with some of the other things that we are planning to do. For example, we are looking at disaster risk reduction solutions in, in Nepal and India and Indonesia. And then, of course, we are looking at some of these uh, social uh, entrepreneurship uh, solutions in Uganda and then taking that to Tanzania and to Ethiopia. But we have got many other pro uh, programs that we are looking at. We are, we are, we are in the Dominican Republic. Uh, we are trying to work with the hospitality industry over there mm -hmm. so that, uh, you know, we can collect soap and we can collect shampoo and we can uh, basically recycle it over there and make it available to some of the most vulnerable populations and given Hispaniola uh, where you've got both the Dominican Republic and Haiti and Haiti is uh, sadly a very blighted country when it, uh, because right. of all the challenges that it faces um, and the migration of Haitians into the Dominican Republic uh, we do want to reach out to those populations with proper services so I think that uh, you know we do have a strategy for 10 years on how this is all going to unfold. Uh, and I think that I'm very, very excited to, you know, uh, be leading this effort and to be making a very humble contribution to SDG6. Um, I have got an awesome team and I'm really looking at, uh, you know, how we can continue to build this, but also work with the private sector in the United States as well as in Europe to look at more innovative solutions, better ways of financing water sanitation and hygiene, uh, better ways of operations and maintenance of existing infrastructure that's there, which has been the bane of uh, a lot of global development. Wow, that's so cool. I mean, everything you just mentioned, it just sounds so exciting and innovative. I love the the fog nets as just such an um, innovative solution to, uh, you know, um, a lack of water. So it's very exciting all the work that you're doing. Well, thank you. Well, I would love to give you a chance to let listeners know how they can help and um, where they can find you. Yeah, well, they can certainly find us on our website. They can find me. My name is Manohar Shinoy, as you've introduced me. I'm the executive director for Clean the World Foundation. Uh, we might, uh, you know, within a month actually be calling ourselves the WASH Foundation. So just keep an eye open for that. Uh, okay. We are Clean the World Foundation, but we could become the WASH Foundation. We're going to really have a global footprint. And uh, my plea to the audience is, like every other nonprofit, we struggle uh, for, for funds on mm -hmm. the one hand. But on the other hand, we are asking people to come forward with very innovative solutions uh, and to contribute to the thinking because that is just as invaluable. And to really feel that they are a part of this movement where as a planet, we are all struggling to see how we can address climate change. And clearly water is something that touches every aspect of life, whether it is in our oceans or at a household level, whether it is global uh, the burden of global disease, whether it is education or food security, what or whether it is just businesses, uh, you know, businesses are so reliant, or agriculture is so reliant on water, um, that I think that we all need to be deeply sensitive about about the issue of water, and we are really looking for uh, you know support from uh, from our communities, from the people at large, 
from private sector who have got a lot of capital with them. But we're also looking at the bilateral aid agencies, the multilateral aid agencies, the foundations that are over there. Uh, we, we have got a lot of, uh, what should I say, um, an eye for innovation, but also try to reach as many people as we can. But we do want uh, this to be very inclusive. And uh, we want all of us, those who can contribute to the process, to continue to do that either in kind or through innovative te uh, technologies and, of course, money, uh, which is so important for, I guess, all nonprofits struggle with this, and so do we. Um, we, we are very grateful for the hospitality industry and what they give us, uh, but I think that we would really like to see how the IT industry, the banking industry, etc. you know, the Coca-Cola Foundation, the Pepsi Foundation, many of these people actually step in and they say that, hey, you know, we would like to work with you guys. Uh, we do think that, uh, you know, the approaches that you bring are very thoughtful uh, and that we are we are good custodians of their money. Uh, and uh, we, we do really want to deliver very impactful programs. So that's my message, uh, you know, to the audience, um, whoever is listening in, please help us. Uh, please help the planet uh, and, you know, pl please help each other. I love that. Um, well, the work that you're doing is so important and it seems like your reach is so wide. Um, so I, um, you know, wish you the best of success. We um, always end every interview with some fun rapid fire questions as a way to get to know you better, if that's all right with you. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Um, what is your favorite place in the world and be as specific as possible? Um, I guess it is, it is uh, you know, where I grew up in India, in the city of Hyderabad. Um, it is, it's because uh, my entire formative years uh, have been there. My next best place in the world is the United States. I I adore India, but I also love the United States. Uh, you know, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else other than where I am in Maryland at the moment. Um, I just love uh, Maryland. I love my community. I want to do more for my community over here. Oh, I love that. Um, what TV show are you currently watching? Oh, gosh, I'm not really very big on TV. Um, whenever my daughter visits us, um, we get to watch uh, something on Hulu. There's something, um, I believe, Murder in the Building or something like uh, that. Oh, yes. It's yeah, a funny so, one. <laughs> yeah, whenever she comes. Yeah, I love Steve Martin. So uh, I belong to that generation. So I, I do love that. But um, I only watch it when she is here because she won't allow us to watch it when she's not around. Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was the last book that you read? I'm reading a book called Alter Traits. Um, this is by Daniel Goldman. Um, I think it's um, it's a very, very interesting book, something that I encourage everybody to read about, uh, you know, especially in this day uh, and age where everybody is talking about mental health and people are coming out of uh, the pandemic and many people have been bruised by it. Mm -hmm. um, there's a sense of isolation. Uh, I think Daniel Goldman really the whole issue of meditation and some of it comes from my own Indian uh, background if you like 
but Daniel Goldman, as you know, has written emotional intelligence and uh, emotional intelligence in the workplace, uh, etc. Alter Traits is an excellent book. Uh, I would certainly, you know, encourage a lot of people to read it because there is a real science to meditation. There is a real science to mental health. And I think that the mental health of our population is really very important. We are going through very tumultuous times in the world, including in the United States. So if you can pick up the book, please read it. Uh, I don't get, get to get a part of his royalties. I'm just letting you know. So <laughs> I just think it's a great book. I like Daniel Goldman. So, yeah. Yeah, it sounds like an interesting book, an important book to read, too. Um, one fun fact about you. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, what can be funny about me? Almost everything, actually. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I actually started out uh, as an astronomer. And an oh, astrophysicist cool. uh, oh, wow. many years ago. Um, I just realized I was not very good at it. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> I, I just realized that there are so many brilliant, absolutely brilliant people out there. And um, I didn't think that I was, uh, you know, in the same mold. Uh, but I still continue to get my inspiration from all the great scientists who are out there. I like to take a very scientific approach to even human development. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I don't know whether that's a fun fact. The only funny thing about it is that I'm not really very good at it. Uh, <laughs> well, no, I think that's very interesting. Very mm -hmm. cool. Um, yeah. And then the last one is your favorite quote, if you have one. Oh, gee, I don't know. Um, well, I, I, I do like Mahatma Gandhi's uh, quote, which I think... I don't know whether it is uh, attributable to him or not, but uh, I've seen it uh, around a lot, uh, and people some of some people do attribute it to him, uh, and that is that there is enough for every man's need, but not enough for every man's greed. And I think mm. that that is that is so important in this day and age of uh, you know uh, excessive consumption. Our planet can has only got so much carrying capacity. And I think that there's so much of wisdom in those, world, those words. Uh, you know, if we can bring certain moderation in our own lives uh, and set that example, I, I think our planet will be better off. Oh, yeah. I haven't heard that one, but that's really good. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Manohar. This was so fun um, speaking with you and hearing about all the amazing work that you all are doing. Thank you so much, Lizzie. And uh, thank you for making the time to talk to me. I really enjoyed this. Of course. Thank you for listening to Waves of Change podcast. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Waves of Change POD. If you have a question or recommendations for next guests, email us at wavesofchangepod at gmail.com. And don't forget to subscribe to Waves of Change podcast and rate us to help others find us. And if you're feeling extra generous, please share this episode on your social media channels. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.